It's Oklahoma Archery. Everything archery based out of Oklahoma for Oklahomans. Let's get it started. Welcome everybody to another fun and exciting uh, podcast for the Oklahoma Archery. I'm David Bosca. I'm Neil Cooley. Hey, we're sitting here. We just, we was chatting, sitting here talking, chatting back and forth while we're waiting on our guests to call in. And I decided let's hit record and just get what we got going. We was just talking about, um, Neil's headed down to sell a site and get rid of some stuff to pay for a new hunting bow. Um, so what are you getting, Neil? Or, or guy? I've got coming. Uh, it's up. Get, it's up at the arrow shop in Dewey. I called my my good buddy Miles Blair. He's my my Hoyt guy. Every time I need my fix, I call Miles. Um, I'm gonna get me an RX7 Ultra. Um, I'm gonna hunt with it. I'm gonna shorten up my draw length just a little bit. Um, been hunting the last since 2015, so I guess the last eight years with a uh, Carbon Spider 34. And uh, it's been a great bow. Got a lot of notches on the limbs. Uh, killed stuff on a couple of different continents with it. But I think the draw length is just a hair long for me. And I'm gonna go ahead and take the big uh, take the big leap up. Get a new new flagship hunting bow coming. I don't want to uh, say I've got a bunch of uh, bunch of new target bows and decided I better not be too one sided. Got to be a well rounded archer. So I'm gonna go ahead and try that new rx7 out i shot my buddy's um twin turbo model last year and it's got a real smooth draw cycle like freakishly smooth and the uh cams on it are let's see cams on it are the hbx which i assume is some kind of variant of the target cam i'm shooting now being the hbt so they might be they might be similar um truth be told if my current hunting bow with the z5 cam and a half on there if it was adjustable i would probably stay with it um but it's not and i'm having trouble finding mods to shorten up the draw length on it so we're going to go ahead and drop a little bit of money to fix that problem there's only there's only so many problems in life that you can solve with a little bit of pocket change and this happens to be one of them so that's the uh that's the plan going forward um gonna pick it up Wednesday, be two days from now. So everybody out there, it's got kind of like Christmas morning when you got your new bow coming in. It might be August, it might be December, Um, but good time to good time to get it upgraded. Got me a set of uh, strings ordered from Wizard Labs Archery, so they'll be here um, hopefully later on this week. So I'll get to get to set it up and be ready to uh, fling some arrows come October one. Hope everybody's seeing some good activity on their trail cameras. Getting to a point where I'm checking mine about every two hours. It's starting to be a problem. <laughs> well, I, I don't have anything going quite like that. I'm, I still got my, my good old Bowtech that I've been slinging, slinging with. And I have, I've switched, like I've said, to a, a button release from the back tension. And, you know, over the weekend, I felt like I was doing nothing but aiming drills. And that's what I'm calling it. it just feels like I stand there and I'm at a statue. And, and I don't know if it's a, a touch of hesitation or with the change of the release, I don't have something quite right. So after you left my shop today, I stood up close to the blank bale and stood there and started started pounding on the bale, just, just seeing what I could come up with that. So I'll probably do that for the better part of this week. Just, just trying to figure something out. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's all me. Um, the bow still feels good. The head of the release feels like it's still in a good spot, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's all me. Um, so I've just got to figure this out. Have you noticed any difference in the way it holds between the button and the and the hinge? Yeah, this holds so much more steadier. It's it's good. It's 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 really good. Um, and the sight picture is it's yeah. I I don't want to sound wrong, but dude, it's dead steel. I'm sitting there for 10, 12 seconds, and it's just it just sits there. 
and the harder I pull, at least it feels like the harder I'm pulling, it just it just stays there. And then as I as I'm giving out, since I've increased my holding weight, I can see the sight picture starting to go down, um, falling below the ten, falling into the bottom of the yellow, and and I'll like okay, get stronger. Then all of a sudden I'll realize that I'm 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 getting relaxed and I'll, the whole bow will come back more. So I know I'm I'm cheating it and it's, and it's slowly going forwards on me. So yeah, I think that's what it. What part of it is is I, is, and I don't think it's draw length. It's the addition of the extra holding weight and the change of the release. But I felt like I had to change the holding weight due to this type of a release. So I'm going to give it three or four weeks and shoot some good scores and just keep going that way and see how what it tells me. But the sight picture itself is, it's just dead. Yeah. Good. The time of year to be tinkering. Have you uh, have you changed your stabilizer weights any since making the change? No, no, I have not. I okay. have added six okay. ounces um, bolted directly onto the riser, um, and to me that really helps steady up the riser. I didn't know if you noticed that today, but I've got six ounces on the bottom of the the riser in a in a hole. Um, yeah. We uh, we talked about that uh, Saturday at Oki Land. Oh, okay, yeah, and I just really think all of that put together is what's helping this hold so still. Now I've got to find the right way because after my debacle at Indianapolis this year, I absolutely refuse to trigger a shot off. I am I I don't want to know anything about it. I I want it to just go. But this this is working for me, so I've got to, I've got to, I got I'll figure it out. It, it'll take me a long, a good little bit, but I will get it figured out. Well, speaking of wrist release malfunctions, while we're on the subject and it's fresh on my mind, I had I had me one of those this weekend. I don't know if you saw that pop up on our uh, our little live video we did there at the state broadhead championship, but uh, that was a. Uh, That'll wake you up in the morning pretty good. For anybody that hadn't seen it out there, I'll kind of walk you through it. We uh, were about halfway through the state broadhead, and I decided to pull out the old cell phone and go live for a second just to show people what kind of broadhead targets we were shooting and pulled back on target number nine. And I don't know if I either didn't reset the sear on my wrist strap release or if it somehow had malfunctioned on there and proceeded to – absolutely punch myself in the face hey there's our guest for today how you doing shiloh i'm doing good gentlemen how are y'all good. pretty good can you hear us all right yes sir can y'all hear me loud and clear yes sir, yes, sir. we can hear <laughs> you good let's what we're doing we've already started recording we're just sitting here chatting and everything um so um shiloh uh go ahead and introduce yourself we Tell everyone who you are and where you live and, and, and ex exactly what are you doing right now? Hey, bud, I see a little man there. Say hi. <laughs> yeah, my name is uh, Shiloh Butts. I'm from Sulphur, Oklahoma, uh, born and raised here. Uh, right now, I actually just walked in the door from work and making quick stops on the way home, and so that's why I've run a little bit late, so I apologize. Uh, there's You're good, right when it comes to archery. Everything's good in archery, buddy. <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. So for everybody that doesn't know, hadn't heard of Shiloh, he is one of the top-tier recurve shooters in our area and probably around the world. Um, reputation kind of precedes him just a little bit. I've heard people brag about this guy all over the state. Um Shiloh, you started shooting when you were pretty, pretty young fellow, didn't you? Still there? Oh, yeah. Sorry. There you go. There you uh, go. There you are. Sorry, had a, somebody was trying to call me, so it cut in there. Uh, yeah, I started shooting. Uh, man, I couldn't say say for sure when. Really, uh, started hard shooting probably around 12, 13 years old. Um. And that's kind of where it all took off. Uh, 
as far as competition stuff. I've, I've had a bow in my hand since I was five, six years old on and off all the way through my life. Um, but it really, really, like I said, took off probably around 12, 13 years old. Um, I got into uh, shooting uh, with a buddy of mine. Uh, he picked up a recurve, and uh, I actually bought a cheap one at a um, flea market, and that's kind of where it really propelled from there. And uh, I got into 4-8 shooting sports, and that's where I shot my first tournament and then found out about a local 3D range. And I've, I've been going there basically ever since. On your tournaments, do you shoot um, 3D only or, or, or get into yeah, so, a little bit of, of everything you do? Tell us, tell the world of Oklahoma <laughs> archery. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've primarily been, I'd say like 99.9% .9 of my archery career has been uh, on 3Ds alone. Uh, I Back in way, way back when, uh, when I was in school and that sort of thing, I did shoot a little bit of paper um, through the 4-H program. That's pretty much it. Um, I haven't done any indoors at all just because there's not a whole lot around here really. Um, something I've thought about getting into, but it's one of those things. Uh, I've got so many daggum hobbies and pulled one way and the other between work and kiddo and hunting and everything else. It's kind of hard to pull myself away long enough to try to get into that sort of thing so I, i've been basically i guess you could say 100 percent 3d um more or less from the beginning of it all um i've traveled all over the state from one corner to the next uh, and all over the u.s and uh have been fortunate enough to get to be on the usa archery team uh last year and shoot in the uh world 3d uh, championships so was that the one down in georgia no, so that was actually in Italy. Okay, uh, that world, I've got you. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, sir. Well, yeah, tell no, us what I, that was like. Oh, that was an experience. Like, uh, I mean, it it's undescribable. Honestly, I mean, it's not anything that I ever imagined I would get to do. I mean, to get to wear a jersey that's you know representing your country, number one, and then you know you you don't really think about it. Or I didn't, I guess, until. I got it in and, you know, I opened up the box and there, you know, it was USA and my name's right underneath it and or right above it, I guess, whatever. But it's just like that was the moment that it all clicked in and really uh, set, you know, what was going on or what was fixing to, to happen and, you know, in the months ahead. And, uh, and it was, the experience was awesome. I mean, getting to shoot with people from literally around the world and, uh, places that, you know, I don't even know where they were. I've heard of them, but I couldn't point them out on the map and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, you know, I felt like a, a small fish in a ocean full of sharks, honestly. And uh, my goal there was just to go and do my best. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I didn't care how I ended up. Uh, I just wanted to see how well I stood, you know, with everybody there. And as long as I shot to the best of my ability, um, and I could walk out of there with my head held high. That was my number one goal, um, regardless of where the, the standings ended up going with it. So it was it was an awesome experience and just an absolute honor to be able to do it. How did the standings come out? Did you have a good shoot uh, for you? Or what for you? So, did you have a good shoot for you? Yes, sir. So for me, it, it was a different experience because the way that, that World Archery does 3D is a lot different than anything around here. Um, everything here, you know, you shoot one arrow, that arrow scores, you walk to the next target, you're done. Um, in World Archery, it's two arrows per target, um, and each arrow counts for score. So uh, just because, you know, you make a good shot that first one, it doesn't mean you get to walk away and, you know, build off that. You basically have to match what you did on that first one, or you have to just try to execute and make a good shot and uh, – build off of it from there you know even if it doesn't land where you want to just try to figure out hey do i need to do this do i need to do that and work around it so that was a different experience there but um, at the end of the first day i was actually setting uh, in second place overall uh, in the longbow division uh, i believe i was down by eight or ten points something like that um, and then the second day um, rolled around and i actually was able to take over the first place position um, and then from there, we had to do the, the shoot, shoot downs, which 
I was lucky in the fact that the top two positions uh, actually were um, got a buy into the finals rounds. Um, so everybody else had to shoot to make to the to the uh, semifinals. Um, and then in the semifinals match, I shot against a gentleman from Italy, and he beat me by a couple points. So that knocked me into the bronze medal match. And uh, from there, I actually was fortunate enough to make a couple good shots and pull that one out. And so I came back with a bronze medal. So uh, I met my expectations for sure, for sure. I mean, Absolutely. That- I, I was going to say, you know, having the buys can kind of go both ways. You're, you don't know the environment. You don't know the wind. You don't. Man, it's, it would almost benefit to be able to get to shoot on that that um, area for just a little bit prior to getting to your match. So, in in a way, yes, but in the way they do their, their qualification rounds. So, I got a buy. I didn't even shoot the day that everybody qualified to make it into the finals. Um, it's a total separate day. And on the finals oh. day, everybody just shoots that makes the, the semifinals. So, I basically had a day off more or less so I could go, you know, hang out with uh, me and my wife. We went and traveled a little bit around and checked stuff out. And uh, we did actually make it out to watch some of my teammates, um, cheer them on, you know, and be there and uh, coach a little bit. And uh, so anyway, so we were, we were able to go and experience that. But actually on the finals day, uh, you weren't allowed to see the – I mean, you could see the finals targets, but you didn't – you couldn't do anything with them or nobody knew what they were going to be or anything like that till they stepped up to the plate. So, I mean, it was as, as an even playing field as it could possibly be. Um, and with that, you know, even the, the semifinals were shot in a totally separate place than the finals were. Uh, and so it was it was a very, very well laid out um, and scheduled event. I mean, like none other I've ever been to. Uh, and just very, very well orchestrated, to, to say the very least. Well, were you all shooting uh, known or unknown distance? Uh, so it was all unknown. Uh, okay. Everybody was unknown, um, and like I said, it was thirty targets, and in the longbow and trad divisions, uh, and so it was, there was four divisions there: was longbow, trad, or uh, instinctive, I guess is what they call it, um, and then barebow, uh, and thirty meter max, uh, and then there was compound, which shot out to fifty meter max, uh, but every, all of it was unknown yardage, um, and. I mean, the places that we were shooting at was – we literally – I've walked on billy goat trails that were that were more padded down and walked on than the trails we were. It was set up – they basically set targets in a mountain range, and they had flags up, and you just followed flags from one target to the next. Uh, very, very, very trying terrain that I was not prepared for, um, and I don't think anybody on the team honestly was. We all kind of uh, – took a step back and thought, what, what did we do or what should we have done to prepare a little bit better for this? Uh, I mean, there was actually people that were injured on the range and had to be taken out uh, by ambulance uh, just because the terrain was so crazy. Uh, so it was one of those things, if, especially in my class, if, if you shot an arrow and you missed, uh, especially shooting woods, there was a good chance you weren't going to get it back. And if you did, it wasn't going to be in uh, one piece anymore. You know, we sorry to skip over this, but let's step back. Tell everyone what your equipment is. I apologize for that. Yeah. Oh, no worries. So, I I'd say ninety five percent of the time I shoot in the longbow division. So, with that, it's just a single or two piece longbow um, and wood arrows. Uh, no sights, of course. Uh, fixed position as far as um draw goes so i can't string walk and i can't face walk and that sort of thing to uh basically change um to change the (coughs) excuse me uh to change the shot in any ways um other divisions you can actually move up and down your face a little bit um or you can move up and down the string so uh it makes your trajectory a lot different and you can actually hold on to the target a lot easier and not have, you know, these giant gaps at longer distances on some of these targets. Um, so yeah, there's that. I shoot a little bit um, of recurve, not very often, just kind of depends on the shoots. Um, and every now and then I'll also pull out the self bow and shoot, 
shoot in uh, that realm as well. So I love them all, but longbow is where my heart is, probably always will be. Did you start with a longbow, or is that something that you got into? Uh, so originally, I actually started with self-bows. Uh, there was an older gentleman that lived right next to me that built self-bows and shipped them all over the U.S., and uh, I'd sit in his workshop for hours and hours and watch him build them, and uh, I'd get to shoot some of them here and there. So I actually learned to shoot using a self-bow in the beginning, and then uh, the older group that I, I say, when I say older, you know, I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, and I was running around with 30 and 40-year-old guys. That was my that was my crew that I hung out with, so they taught me a lot of uh, good and bad habits, so to speak. Uh, but most of them all shot recurves, and, I mean, they're way more forgiving, way faster, and so I transitioned into that. Um, and then at some point along the way, I don't know where it was, I, I picked up a longbow or I borrowed one from somebody so I could shoot in a different class and uh i just absolutely fell in love with it and it's that's basically been my go-to ever since is it a longbow that you've made or is it made by someone else uh so no i honestly i couldn't whittle a toothpick if i tried so i i I leave that to the people that know what they're doing uh but yeah i shoot uh, a couple different gentlemen's bows Uh, one of them is actually from here in oklahoma by his name's warren pruitt um he builds vortex uh long bows and recurves um so i've been shooting his bows for the past couple years uh absolutely love them uh and that's primarily my target setups is is through him um they're a little bit different looking than most long bows that you would think because they have a big blocky riser um and just the basis and reason for that's just that extra added weight for stability um and then also shoot uh, another another gentleman's bows uh for primal tech archery um he's out of uh, north texas uh, northeast texas actually uh and those have been my primary hunting bows for the last few years uh and then as far as all the other equipment it's pretty much all what i would consider local folks uh, uh guy from uh lexington area um caleb fleas builds my tabs uh local guy over here not far from me builds all my strings and then a gentleman out of North Texas builds all my arrows for me, um, Rock and H Wood arrows. So uh, pretty much every, everything that I use comes from just within an hour or so here, more or less. Um, and that's pretty much the way that it's been for as long as I can remember. Uh, so, I mean, I, I know the people and uh, I know the quality that I'm getting and just having that, you know, that relationship and getting to shoot with them and, uh, you know, friendships that are built through this sport. I know you all know that or are what drives us and keeps me going for sure. Um, but then, you know, being able to shoot those guys things, um, it just, it makes it even better. So your arrows, you said he builds your wood arrows and stuff. Yes, sir. I, I'm not a recurve shooter. I'm not a trad shooter. Um, I, I have to have the training wheels, um, <laughs> just to come close to the target, but no worries. educate I got me. <laughs> educate me on the arrow itself um we all shoot aluminum and carbon um and and you've got you said the wood arrows so what makes his wood arrows better than another wood arrow um is it the the wood itself is what what, help us help me out a little bit explain that to me so there's really about two or three different kinds of woods that people use as far as for wood arrows uh sitka spruce is a big one um cedar is really the the king of all of them and then there's two or three more that are out there that don't get used quite as often um there's pros and cons to all of them um with the cedars they're a little bit lighter than the others so i prefer them just because that little bit lighter weight arrow gives me a little bit more speed um sitka spruce a little bit denser wood so it tends to be heavier um some people like it more because they think it's a little bit um, tougher um, and I've, I've shot both on and off past several years but cedar is definitely my favorite um, but the gentleman that makes there is Mike Heisler uh, it's I mean the attention to detail and the quality that comes out is is just it's crazy I built my own arrows for for many years and you know I'd buy a dozen blank shafts and work on them from start to finish you know from staining them to putting the coats of lacquer and finish on them fletching tapering and all that good stuff and out of a dozen you know if i got seven or eight 
I would feel lucky, you know, that if they shot well. Um, and, you know, I just got a dozen here about two weeks ago from him. And out of that dozen, they're within eight grains of one another. They're within two pounds spine. And I can pull any one of them out of the box right now and spin it, and they'll spin just as true as any of my carbon shafts that I use to, to hunt with and also shoot with at times. So, I mean, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, and there are tons and tons of great arrow builders out there. Um, but, you know, like I said, knowing them personally and being fairly close and having that little extra bit of quality control, I guess you would say, in the mix, um, and knowing how much pride he puts into his arrows, I mean, that's, that's a big, big thing for me as well. Uh, so that's just what stands out. I've shot other people's arrows. Um, and actually a gentleman that retired here a couple of years ago, Mike bought out his business and uh, kind of took over and learned everything from him. And I mean, it's basically the same concept from both. Well, cool. No one else can see this, just us, because this is only <laughs> going to be a, a audio. But man, looking around the backside of you there, Man, you got some beautiful looking mounts on the wall. Obviously, you your hunt. You hunt a lot. Yes, so sir. you said this this fall you're gonna go hunt. So tell us about what kind of hunting you, you got planned. Uh, you know, honestly, currently I don't have any hunts other than just whitetails around the home plan right now. Um typically we do try to schedule a hunt in there somewhere just to get out of state and go do something. Uh whether it's, you know, chasing exotics in Texas or uh, exotics in Africa or, you know, or last, I guess, big hunt I went on was for mountain lions in New Mexico. Uh, so I, I try to do a big hunt every year just because I mean, that's my, that's my uh, passion overall. I mean, that's what keeps me shooting and trying to get better is for the hunting aspect of things. Um, but if it comes down to the nitty-gritty and they said you only get one animal – hunt and that's it it's it's going to be whitetails so uh that's where most of my time is going to be spent this fall and then uh i've also uh i've got a big trip planned already as well for an archery shoot so that kind of uh took up a little bit of time this fall as well so when you do your hunting and you go do your tournaments and stuff is it a big family uh event for you do you get to take the kids and the good yeah it is yeah so pretty much all of our trips and my wife can attest to this uh we didn't go on a family trip there for several years that didn't involve uh, either shooting bows or going on a hunt somewhere, um, which thankfully we, we all enjoy. We're definitely blessed in that aspect. Uh, my little man, I mean, he likes shooting his bow, I think, more than I like shooting it. And it's on a daily basis, can we go out and shoot or can we go out and try to shoot something? Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's it's definitely a family affair. Very lucky and fortunate in that regard. So uh but yeah yeah hunting is definitely our passion for for sure well you're very you're you're well recognized across the united states with your reek or sorry i don't know what to call it what is it just longbow shooting uh yeah just traditional archery in general yeah my my spot's definitely in the longbow side of things okay do you plan i mean gosh looking behind you and, and listening to you and do you ever plan on trying to make archery a um, a business, or you want to keep it fun? I hate to say it like that, but let's be real. You know, generally, if someone makes a business, it's not fun anymore. But right. do you do you no. plan on ever trying to monetize it? You know, I've thought about it in the future. Just things. It's it's hard on the traditional side, really, because I mean, everything that it, I use is the mom and pop kind of thing. Uh, so there's not really. I mean sponsorships yes i mean they help me out because i you know i shoot their equipment and uh i mean i try to do my best to represent them in the best way i can and send people their way and of course if i got a bow or an arrow or anything i'll hand it to whoever i don't care to let them try it out you know um and that is one cool thing about trad archery is i mean anybody can pretty much shoot anybody else's equipment um because it's not set to scale per se um but with the trad side of things like I said, I, I can't whittle a toothpick, so I'm out on the bow building. Um, I can't hardly straighten arrows, so I'm probably not going to be selling any arrows. But, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people ask about uh, uh, classes and that sort of thing and um, shooting schools and whatnot. So who knows, maybe one of these days if I can get certified as an instructor or something like that, having that as a little bit of a side gig. But, 
I figure that's quite a ways down the road. Well, cool. I was wondering if you thought of monetizing it just a little bit, um, because knowledge is what what you'd be selling. Let's be real. Um, with exactly how come you, the way you described it, there's so many small traditional specialists across the United yes, States. Um, but your knowledge is is what it is. That's where you'd have to. That's where you'd price it out at. Is people would listen. People would take your critique and 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 go from there. Absolutely, I I know I would. Um, uh, you know, being serious, I I would because if I wanted to shoot a recurve uh, longbow, why wouldn't you go to the top of the game right now? Um, so yeah, I, I think that, I think you'd have something there, bud. I really would. And we'll we'll see. Most people hear me talk, and they're like, "Oh, I don't need to listen to him very long." And turn around and run would be my would be my worry there. But uh, but no, I I definitely. I mean, I I'm more than happy anytime to help out anybody. Uh, I mean, I honestly, I'll get messages. I've there's been a guy from England messaging me the past several days about bows and arrows and setups and what he could do to this or that. And uh, a buddy of mine that just got into it, he spent probably three hours here at the house yesterday. Um, and we were just going through little bitty things and, uh, he stopped and looked at me once and said, man, I, I never would have thought of that ever. And it's in this game, it, I mean, in, as with it is in compounds as well, cause I shot those for a, quite a while. Uh, it's little bitty things you don't think about that can give you that little bitty, you know, a bit of extra edge and just kind of push you over to the next level. That that's the fun stuff right there. It, you're absolutely, absolutely right. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Neil, you got anything, bud? Yeah, I was gonna say, tell us about your uh, your tournament here this past weekend. You were down in the southeastern corner of the state at the World Championships. You told us that there were two divisions you shot, both on Saturday and Sunday. So, if we had you know local people that like me, I, I shoot my recurve a little bit when we first put in for McAllister and then we draw out and it's like, man, it feels like studying for a, for a test at the last minute, you know, trying to stay up and, and cram for a test the morning or the, the night before the test. So tell us about some of these recurve competitions that, that we might not hear enough about. Um, kind of what's the format there's different divisions and, and how, how would one get into that if it was, a uh, something that they really needed to dial in for a McAllister hunt this fall. Right. So we're really, really lucky and blessed across the state. There's a, a ton of ranges out now. Um, and it seems like over the past couple of years, the numbers have grown um, and several that are basically trad only more or less. So uh, throughout the spring and summer months, uh, there's shoots all over the place. I mean, you can pick one nearly every other weekend to go to and shoot. Um, with that being said, the typical typical shoot, you're going to have more or less three divisions. You'll have recurve, you have longbow, and then you'll have self-bow. Um, some of those are broken down further where uh, they'll have two divisions. So basically, say for recurve, for example, you can shoot uh, wood arrows only, or you can shoot, you know, re or you can shoot carbons or aluminums or wood. So it kind of opens it up a little bit there. Um, same thing on the longbow side, they'll break it up where it's wood arrows only, or you can shoot any arrow combination that you want. Um, and a lot of that just deals with whenever you, you limit to just the wood arrows only. I mean, you're definitely handicapping yourself there and you can typically see it scores a lot of times, um, just cause it does make things a little bit more difficult. Um, as far as shoots across the state, there's a, a lot of big shoots out, um, in Western Oklahoma around, uh, Weatherford and Leedy area, they have two or three pretty decent sized shoots out there. Uh, my home range at Stratford, uh, we hold two big shoots a year, one of them being the state longbow shoot. Um, we'll have, you know, a couple hundred people show up for that over a weekend time frame um, and usually average, you know, 300, 350 rounds shot over a weekend. Um, and then uh, the one that was recently, the most recent one is definitely the biggest shoot in the state. Um, I, aside from say like the tax shoot, I, I don't know of any other archery shoot in the state of Oklahoma or anywhere really close, um, that'll have as many people uh, show up to it. And that's at McAllister ammunition plant, um, which there, they, they do two week, two day shoot 
usually always the first full weekend in August, um, and they'll do the three divisions, which is recurve, longbow, and self-bow. Uh, one of the gentlemen that I've known for years that actually helps run that shoot, uh, I talked with him, and they had had just right at 400 people sign their books um, as far as release forms. So uh, if you take that and then you count into, you know, most people in the trad world, they shoot one bow, they run to their car, they trade bows or trade arrows, and they jump right back on the range and they shoot another round because uh, when they show up, they want to shoot, you know. Uh, so there's there's no telling how many actual rounds were shot over the weekend down there. Um, so it, it's pretty pretty wild to think that there's something that big um, in this part of the country. But uh, it's it's always, for as long as I can remember, I guess the past, you know, 20-plus years, kind of been the, the uh, peak of the summer for me because uh, that's always – I was looking forward to that because it's always the biggest shoot and it's the biggest draw and that sort of thing. Uh, now, pretty good time. Go ahead, go ahead, Neil. I say pretty, pretty good time that it's you know first full weekend in August. Really motivates you to get that hunting bow out and mm -hmm. kind of be dialed in. You can see a lot of these last minute guys trying to get it done. <laughs> talking, talking about myself, trying trying to get it done in mid August <laughs> all through September, and it's like, man, we put in for this ammo deal. And anybody that doesn't know, if you go hunt the uh, the ammunition depot in McAllister, Oklahoma they have absolutely giant whitetails down there, but because it's a military base, you're only allowed to take traditional equipment, no binoculars, nothing that could potentially, you know, nothing that could make a spark or start a flame. So it's really kind of getting back to the basics and um, kind of regret all summer shooting your compound. And it's like, oh, here comes October, November rolling around and you're just trying to, you're, just, you're hoping to fling an arrow on a prayer and a promise. So definitely definitely need to put the uh put the word out about some of these recurve only shoots that are you know geared towards guys that are you know familiar with it know how to set a range for it um we had a we had the state broadhead shoot this past weekend saw a ton of guys from up around McAllister or not McAllister I'm sorry Wagner come down and they've got a, a really good traditional group up there and you know yeah, they, they show do. up I forgot about them they show up, they travel, um, you know, they're there to compete, but it's like you just don't see enough of them at some of these tournaments we go to. And it's probably because there's, you know, would you rather go shoot against five or six guys in your division or three or 400 guys? You know, we're trying to figure out how to include them and, you know, participate and, and be a part of it and try to gain some of that knowledge. But it, it really is two different worlds. So trying to, you know, kind of figure out how to how to bridge that gap. Correct. Yeah. And it, and it's tough. Cause I mean, a lot of the guys, I mean, the, the whole stigma is all oh, the compounders, they shoot way too slow, which I mean, I, I can't say a whole lot because I've been down that route. Uh, I mean, I shot for seven or eight years, you know, on the compound side of things. And, uh, I do admit it was a little bit slower game. Uh, but it's the game when you're on the range, it's, you know, it's, it is a game and you have to play the game the way everybody else does. If you want to try to be there with them, uh, and I think that's really the biggest thing that a lot of guys that, that don't want to go to the mixed shoots because there are shotgun starts and that sort of thing. Um, it seems like the ones that I've been to that it's meshed the best is when, uh, you know, it's one of those just show up and go when you want to kind of thing. Or uh, there's several of them that uh, have started allowing the trad guys to come shoot early that morning so they can get in and basically get on the range and uh, that shoot their rounds before everything else really gets kicked off. And uh, it seems like those are the ones that have, have done the best uh, over the last couple of years. And I know they, they've really tried to incorporate that into some of the bigger shoots, like the, I believe, like the Triple Crown that they had this year. And then uh, two or three years ago when the ASA was really rocking and rolling here in the state, um, I believe they were doing the same. Um, you know, for me, I, I honestly, I've not shot near as much the last few years as I used to and haven't traveled as much around here Um aside from just the big shoots and then uh, some of the bigger shoots across the U.S. Uh, so I haven't got to participate in a lot of those. And so hopefully in the next couple of years, especially the kiddo getting a little bit bigger, um, we can start hitting some of these other ones that we hadn't got to go to in a long time. Is the uh, the 730 start time for trads, is that pretty pretty universally accepted? You guys you guys like that quite quite a bit, something to consider moving forward? I would absolutely say so. I mean, uh, just for example, like at, uh, at the longboat shoot at, that we have at Stratford every year, you know, we advertise, you know, we're, we'll be there at, you know, 
seven o'clock and there'll be people pull, pulling in at six thirty, wanting to get their cards and go out right then because they want to go shoot around and get back and get another bow like i said and go shoot again if they can um if there's multiple classes there so uh that's definitely not something that uh most guys are shy about doing as far as starting on the early side of things when you all get into the summer months shooting uh shooting the old wooden bows self bow longbow stuff like that is it something that you will notice when the temperature gets hot, you start seeing some changes in that wood or are they pretty much dialed in, not affected by the heat? So really the only ones that I worry a whole lot about are going to be self bows. Um, okay. and just cause they are, uh, they're animal all their own. Uh, I mean, you may have one that lasts 10 shots or you may have one that lasts 110,000 shots, you know, uh, you, you just can't ever tell. Um, so with those, it's, it, they're a little bit more finicky, um, with the weather changes, uh, as far as heat and cold goes. And there are some long bows and recurves that are the same way, but typically with them, because they are laminated, um, you don't see quite as much change there. Um, where I have run into issues, uh, has been with strings, uh, which I know that have with compounds as well. When you get into those super, super humid days or, you know, you go from a mild day to a crazy hot day, you get a little bit of string stretch and just have to watch out for that. Um, the biggest problem I ever ran into was actually the first year I ever went to the IBO uh, world shoot and uh, we're shooting longbow with wood arrows and we were in Tennessee and it was, you know, 98 degrees and 125% humidity. And uh, the second day I got out there and was shooting and on the bags and uh, at the time I shot instinctively. And so one day, you know, you might be on the next day, you might be off. You can't ever really tell. And only way to, change your sights is kind of slap yourself on the face and you know say dummy you need to do something a little different there so uh but anyhow i i was shooting great the day before i mean i shot one of the best rounds i'd ever shot ever um second day i got on the bags and i was shooting about three inches low and so check my brace height it was good make sure that my uh knock height was all right it seemed fine I thought, well it's just me today you know whatever Got out on the range. I shot super strong, but I was still just right at the bottom edge of everything, just a little bit low. Couldn't figure it out. And that night we got back to the hotel and I was going through eras and spinning them and just making sure everything was straight to get ready for the finals the next day. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go through here and just weigh everything out to make sure that, you know, I've got the right groups because I try to keep all my errors really tight as far as the grain weights goes and that sort of thing. And I started weighing them and I thought, man, this ain't right. This is, you know, way too heavy. And so I grabbed another one. It was way heavy. And I got to looking and my arrows had gained between 30 and 50 grains a piece just from humidity uh, wow. being a factor. And then the light bulb clicked. Oh, my gosh. That's what was doing all day long. Um, and that was just something I'd never experienced before, never thought about before. Um so, I mean, there are those little things like that that can jump out there and can affect things on the trad side that really you wouldn't think as much on the compound world for sure. Okay. There again, I'm, I'm a wheelie guy. Um, <laughs> call it what it is. You've said it several times, longbow, self-bow. To me, I still picture a long, the long one without a cutout riser, without – so, and you said something just then about the laminated lens. Is that what is the definition between self and longbow? Yeah. So with the self bow, there's a couple different dif different definitions depending upon kind of where you're looking at, and they can even break it down even further. So, typically speaking, though, a self bow is going to be made of all natural materials. There's no laminations per se there, and if there's no glass, it's typically just one solid piece of wood, and that's it carved out of a single piece. Some people add, you know, horn tips or something like that. Um, but typically speaking, it's just a single piece of wood. Um, and then you even break it down into composite self bows. And so they may actually put, you know, a bamboo backing on there, or they may back it with rawhide or something like that, which can actually increase the performance of the bow. So they kind of put it into a different class. Um, some places kind of just lump it all together, but overall definition for me with self bows is going to be something that's made of all natural materials, you know, with no glass or anything like that. Um, when you're looking at long bows, they are actually going to have, you know, glass in the limbs, um, different veneers. Um, my bow actually has carbon in the limbs. Um, and in the riser, it has a material called G10, which is a really dense, heavy, heavy, basically just acrylic material um and of course it has wood on the outside of it 
um, but that's where it adds stability. Um, and with that, you know, my limbs are, they don't have the big curves out on the ends where a recurve does. And so that's kind of what sets the recurves long goes apart. So it would be the self bows that would be the bow dark trees yes, sir. and okay. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. Uh, real, real years, quick, I was, I was going to say just for my own knowledge, what kind of poundage are you shooting on these? You got a specific range that you like or they vary a little bit? Uh, it, it all depends on the game we're running, you know, um, currently my, my setup, I'm pulling about 44 and a half, 44 and three quarters on the fingers. Uh, I used to shoot a little bit heavier than that, but all these older gentlemen and their infinite wisdom that, you know, started shooting lower poundage a few years ago. And I thought, oh, they're just getting old and wimpy now. And I never would give up those few extra pounds because I always shot in the upper 40s to, you know, low 50s because I wanted that extra trajectory. Um, and, I mean, with some of the designs now, like what Randy has from Primal Tech and uh, Warren does with the Vortex, I mean, my 44 pounder will outshoot my 50 pound, my older 50 pound bows just because the designs are better now. Um, but typically speaking, somewhere in that 42 to 45 pound range is what I run as far as my 3D setups goes. Uh, hunting, I like a little bit heavier just because if you do encounter heavier bone or muscle or that sort of thing, I want that little bit of extra umph in there to, to push the arrow along. So I'm shooting mid to low 50s um, on that. Uh, I've went up in poundage a couple times for a couple hunts. At one time, I was actually shooting 78 pounds. Uh, but Ooh. thankfully, thankfully those, those days are behind me for now, unless I get a wild hair and come up with some other crazy adventure I want to try. I was going to say, you must have been going after Cape Buffalo or something like that. Uh, yes, sir. That was, the, that was the game of choice for that. Ooh. Is that in, uh, is that South Africa? I'm assuming. Uh, yes, sir. That was in South Africa. Golly. Yeah. How, how, how close did you get to that beast? Uh, so I shot my bull, uh, at 18 yards and, uh, I, I got really, I mean, for what it was, I mean, I, I, I put a perfect shot on him. I got pretty good, uh, penetration. Uh, I dead centered a rib, which is nearly impossible not to do. Um, we found the bull. He was still up and around, but he'd separated from the herds. So we let him be, went back in, found him and he bedded down and, uh, I was able to get in there and get an, another arrow in him. Um, and got a little bit better penetration. Um, actually, I was about 23 yards on that shot, so it was a little bit further. Um, but yeah, that was a that was an experience from beginning to end, not just the hunt, but just the preparations for that. Because eight months out, I could barely pull that bow back with any type of um, control at all. I mean, I was shaking uncontrollably. You know, at once I'd get it to full draw, and once I got it there, I couldn't hold it for any amount of time. So. I, I had a workout regimen. I spent four to five days a week at the gym, and uh, I had my uh, warm-up bow, as I called it, that was 67 pounds that I shot on a regular basis and uh, made my made my heavy bow feel a little bit easier um, going down the end of the pike. So anyhow, yeah, I, I actually strung that bow up a couple of days ago for the first time in a couple of years and let a guy draw it, and he got about halfway back and looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm pretty sure I gave him a look back at him like, yeah, I was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be snap shooting that one for sure. I went about three quarters of the way and it'd be gone. Yeah. Oh, not to do. Yeah, that's travel that's, with that. Well, well, I mean, that's a big long piece of equipment. Yeah. So th that particular bow and my most of my hunting stuff, uh, I shoot three piece longbows for that, just for ease of taking down. And those those bows are a little bit smoother shooting, a little bit easier to to uh, tune overall and a little bit faster just because of the design. So uh, I was, honestly, I, I broke my bow down in three pieces and threw it in my suitcase and threw it on the plane like I owned the place and got off the plane. And they never knew that I had anything with me, honestly. So, <laughs> well, all right. That makes more sense. Yeah. What do you look for setting up a, setting up a bow to hunt with or even a tournament bow? Where do you start on in the tuning process? Is it, start with the arrows start with your brace height or i'm assuming you're shooting off off the shelf or are you shooting a mechanical rest of some kind 
So I, I've pretty, I primarily just shoot off the shelf. I've got one bow that I've, I've got a flipper rest on and it was kind of a last minute thing. I was trying to get some stuff tuned up for a hunt. And so I threw it on there just cause they're a little bit easier to deal with. Um, but typically speaking, yeah, I'll shoot off the shelf and pretty much all my bows. I mean, the first thing I do is set up is going to be trying to find that, that special spot because every one of them is going to be different. There's not really any set scientific method to it. Um, as far as trying to find that, you know, that brace height. And there's usually about a quarter of an inch or so on every bow that you can just kind of feel where it's supposed to be at. Um, and then once I get that set up, I mean, you know, you try to figure out the, the spine of arrows that falls within that poundage range that you're shooting. And uh, from there, just, I mean, it's almost like a compound. You know, you can do a little twisting here and there on the string. And if your uh, arrow's a little bit weak, I mean, we can cut them down, make them a little bit stiffer. If they're too stiff, I'll throw an extra little weight up front to get it straightened out. Uh, I'm not a big, big tuning guru by any means of the imagination. Uh, that's just not something that was born into me, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I try my best to, to get my arrows to, to shoot as good as they possibly can and definitely make sure that my broadheads are, are tuned in and shooting, you know, in the same spots as my field points because that's that's definitely something. I mean, I've had many setups that I'll shoot all summer long and then I'll throw a broadhead on there and it's, it's not going where my fill point does. Um, and they're definitely way more finicky in that regard, um, versus say shooting a compound. Speaking of that, what kind of broadheads have you found on a regular basis that has worked for you? There's not one, huh? I, I'm honestly, I'm not a good guy to ask that question. I, I think I've changed broadheads every year for about the last eight or 10 years, looking for that special one that's going to be better than the one before it. Uh, and I think last year, somebody asked me, what kind of broadhead you shooting? Cause I heard that, would you shoot this year? And I started pulling out airs for my quiver. I, they were still loaded up and ready to go at the first tournament that I went to. Uh, Cause I just left them in the quiver, you know? And I think I had on five arrows, I had four different kinds of broadheads. Uh, so it's, so I keep a couple, you know, in there that are cheap that I can fling at pigs and I don't have to worry about messing up. And if I lose them, then whatever, it's just a couple bucks. And then, you know, I've, I've got some that are a lot more expensive that I don't want to lose if I don't have to. So uh, I hold off uh, shooting them at things that don't need to be shot at unless it's dire needs. But, uh, you know, the main thing that, that I really, really think uh, is the biggest thing as far as with trad gear and broadheads that I've figured out the last several years is just having a super, super sharp head and preferably a two blade, um, even with bleeders is fine. Um, but you want something that's two blade cut on contact. And if, if you get it tuned up, I mean, it'll cut through something just like butter, you know, a hot knife through butter. Um, but when you start getting into some of these, heads that you know are very very popular and they're very very deadly um out of compounds they like the muzzies or for example you know that aren't a cut on contact they just don't they don't have as much uh as much uh i don't know what the word for it is they don't you don't get as much penetration out of them essentially because you lose so much energy once that arrow hits versus uh, a two blade cut on contact um so i really try to push guys in that direction um there are a lot of good three blades out there that um, or cut on contact that uh, that I wouldn't shy people away from if that's the direction they want to go. Um, but overall, I, I really do feel like the two blades are are the the top of the the heap as far as choices goes. Cool. <laughs> you getting a lot of uh, a lot of pass through on these, or is it usually a broadhead still in the body cavity when the when the animal runs off? It it really all depends. I mean, the last several animals that I've killed, I've I've gotten complete pass throughs on. Uh, so and, and a lot of that, like I said, that that just goes back to a well tuned arrow and a good sharp head um, on things. I know a lot of people talk about on the compound side trying to absolutely blow through these animals, and I remember if it was old Fred Bear quote said, "You want that broadhead." inside there you know it's doing damage as they're running away it's like well you know that a lot of people killed deer like that back in the day um you know get get it in there get it in the vitals and let it mm-hmm. you know kind of move around in there as they're as they're running off it's going to do a lot more damage than just poking a straight hole through them so i didn't know if there was any you know theory behind that 
talking about cut on contact blades, it's like, yeah, leave it, leave it in there. Or if you're just slicing through them like butter most of the time. Yeah. You know, from, from my point of view, I'd rather have an entry hole and an exit hole for blood to push out versus an entry hole that something could get clogged up and stopped. Cause that's not a good feeling when you have a really good trail and then all of a sudden it, it stops because you know, you have, a piece of meat or a chunk of fat or something that you know overlaps or if you get a little bit too close to that shoulder blade and you know you poke a hole in that shoulder you know that's solid muscle and it's pretty hard to get a really good blood trail out of something like that so i'm of the adage if you can get two holes in him that's a lot better than one um but there and again if you've got a really really good sharp head and uh it's sticking in him and you know working itself back and forth i mean it's going to do a lot of internal damage but i'm not very good at blood tracking unless i got my dog so i prefer to uh to have an entry in and exit if possible i understand definitely definitely helps um what would you say top two three pieces of advice for somebody that's hadn't really shot trad before if they were going to get into it what's a what's a good thing to good place to start not necessarily equipment wise but form mindset um i, I would actually i was going to jump in equipment first and it's not a big thing overall as far as picking Go. this bow or that bow but the biggest thing is don't overbow yourself uh you know everybody thinks you know i'm shooting 65 70 75 pound compound you know i can shoot you know 55 pounds isn't much at all whatever but in essence, it, it's a lot. It's more than you think if you're going to be consistent with it. And, I mean, I tell everybody, buy you 45 at the very high end as far as poundage goes. Um, just because if you want to get into it, you don't want to overbow yourself right off the bat. And that's the number one thing I see people do um, is that. And I, I honestly, I recommend starting out with 35 pounds and even, you know, 40 pounds is kind of the sweet spot, I guess. But if they can – make themselves do it, start out with 35 and get good, good form and then work their way up from there. Um, because you don't have that let off at the end and you know, you don't have a whole lot of time for most people. Once you get it drawn back, they're not going to hold it for long periods before they let it go. And when you start out with those heavier poundage, then that, that just increases your chances of causing bad form and bad habits start right off the bat. So that, that'd be my number one piece of advice. But aside from that, if you're not looking at equipment, um, man, if, if you can find somebody that has shot before and that, you know, has a fairly good grasp on what they're doing that, you know, that you can have the mentor or even coach for that matter, uh, man, they're, they're priceless, priceless, priceless. I've, I've been so lucky and fortunate my entire life to hang out with a bunch of guys that shot way, way, way better than I did. And I looked up to and wanted to shoot better than they did, you know, and that's what really drove me from a young age because I wanted to outshoot all of them one day uh, but along the way. I mean, they were the ones that, that helped me, you know, with form and with setting up my equipment and really on the biggest thing, it, it is the mental side of the game, which I mean, I know uh, on the compound side, I mean, it's, I can, I can teach a monkey to draw back a bow and shoot it, but if you not don't have the right mental acuity to it, um, then that's where it all falls apart. Um, and I really feel that's the biggest thing in trad archery, even more so than on the, the compound world, because, you know, you don't have the sights and you don't have that, I guess, that backup sort of thing to, to make sure, you know, okay, I've got this here, my arrow should fall there. And then when it doesn't fall there, then you say, huh, what can I do? Because there isn't any, you know, pull this pin down, move this pin out. I need to change the tension on my rest or anything like that. Uh, Are you saying gotta, excuses? Is that what you're trying to say? You don't have as many excuses as we do? No, I, I've got plenty of them. I promise you. I promise you. I've I've got plenty of those. But uh, but yeah, that's that's really that's really it. I mean, if you can if you can conquer the mental side of it and just you know go with the flow, and if you do make that bad shot on a target, don't worry about it. Move on to the next one. You're a lot better off than than worrying about it try to stay in the stay in the stay in the field not necessarily overthink it just find that find that sweet spot don't over aim pull it back and let it go that's that's absolutely it i mean and even this year at the uh, ibo worlds here uh, about three weeks ago i was uh i was on my this is our second day there and man that it just nothing felt right uh, i was shooting shot i say I, I was shooting shots and they felt good 
but nothing was hitting good. Uh, I just I couldn't find it. I, I don't know how to explain it. It just it the errors weren't landing where they they should have or where I was wanting them to. And you know, the first thing that I wanted to do was mess with this or change that. And you know, I'd already checked all that. It wasn't that. It was something I was doing. Um, whether it was I wasn't holding my head right or I was blinking twice instead of three times or something, you know, that just that wasn't clicking there. Um, but, you know, about six, seven targets in, once I got that feeling and I made a really good shot and I thought, all right, I just need to capitalize on that one and do the same thing and then just kind of roll with it from there. And I just had to let the bad shots roll off my back and go. Um, and, I mean, that's honestly what's driven driven me to to have success, I really feel like, is – is being able to push those bad bad ones aside and move on to the next target. And, you know, I've, I've told the story a bunch of times. So when uh, I was in Italy last year at the Worlds, uh, that second day, I, I was not shooting good at all. Um, you know, and you get grouped with your uh, with the people that, you know, you're shooting the same class and, you know, you're peer grouped. And so all the guys in my group were just hammering it. I mean, super hard. And I think in the first eight targets – which would have been, you know, 16 shots. I may have had 110 out of 16, which is not not good at all. And I was down a lot. And uh, there was a gentleman that was from Austria that was actually sitting in the first position after the first day. And uh, he slapped me. He didn't speak any English whatsoever, but he slapped me on the shoulder. And he just reached up with his fingers and he pushed his lips out and smiled. And so I just kind of smiled back at him. And he shook his head and he pointed at me and he did it again and just said, smile. I mean, he was telling me to smile and have fun. And uh, as soon as I figured out that he did that, you know, and I, I kind of got to cutting up with him. Of course, we didn't, we didn't know, he didn't know a lick of English. And I didn't know a lick of Austrian. But I mean, from that point on, we were best buddies. And I mean, it clicked. I started having fun and I mean, I, I kicked it in gear. And like I said, I, I pulled out ahead at the end of the day. And if it wouldn't have been for that just little bitty, you know, push from him, uh, there's no telling where I would end up throughout the day because it was not going good on the range. Uh, and everybody else was having a really good day. Uh, and until that moment, I wasn't. So, you know, just a, a different mindset is all it takes sometimes to set you in the right direction. That's that really Colorado. is. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I feel like that's something that's pretty unique to archery when you're you're in a group with people that you're directly competing against and they're every shot. Hey, make a good shot. Go punch this one in the mouth. You know, it's just yeah. like, they're picking you up the whole time. Cause you, yeah, I'm sure you've been down there where, you know, three out of four guys are having a good day and one guy's having a bad day. And it, it oh, really, yeah. it, that one guy can drag the whole group down and it's like, you know, nobody's trying to, nobody's, you want to win, but at the same time you want to have a good time. So it's oh, pretty, pretty great sport to be in when you got your competition trying to pick you up and you know i've even had them say hey can i give you you know i don't want to mess you up but can i give you some strategy or can i give you some mechanical advice i don't don't overthink it you know and they're real respectful of don't change what you're doing now just because of this but i think here's what's happening or here's what you're doing i think i see something and you know sometimes they'll wait till till after it's all done to tell you about it because they don't want to throw you off your game or, or, or necessarily make you second guess something but i've seen that uh, i've seen that happen a lot and it's you know you turn it around like you say, seven, eight targets in, and all of a sudden we're off to the races. Yeah, that's that's absolutely it. And like I said, that's that's what's really driven me and, and kept me going for as long as it has is just the friendships that I've made from literally now all over the world, but, you know, really across the country because, I mean, there's guys that I only get to see maybe once or I'm lucky twice a year, um, you know, just traveling from one place to the next. And, uh, I mean, that's the bonds and the friendships. That's, that's what it's really all about in the end. That's right. I don't don't disagree one bit with that. That is what a great takeaway. Yeah. Well, it, we've got a good long podcast going here, Shiloh. We appreciate you coming on, spending your evening or your 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 mid evening with us. Um, we'll let you get on back with your family and get to planning. Um, any closing words and anything that you got to where people want, just tell, tell them your sponsors that you do have. And, and if you got any socials, you can have them follow. Tell us about it. Uh, as far as sponsors, I mean, I kind of already mentioned, uh, Warren Pruitt with, uh, Vortex, uh, archery, um, Randy Madden with primal tech, uh, Mike Heisler with rock and H arrows, uh, uh, Caleb please. I've been shooting his tabs for the past several years. 
Um, so those are really the biggest ones. Um, as far as social stuff, I mean, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, pretty much if it doesn't have a deer or a uh, target involved with it, I just kind of scroll on past. So, uh, And that's pretty much if, if you see a picture on there that I put on there, it's probably got something to do with one or the other. Uh, so anyhow, yeah, I'm on, on both of those. And uh, as I've told many people, I mean, if there's any questions about anything that, that I can help with, you know, recurve longbows, whatever, I'm more than happy to help. And if I can't answer it, I'm sure I can probably find somebody that, that can and is very willing to. And that's what's, that's what's so great about our sport is that, you know, most everybody is willing to help no matter what position they're in. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's really it. All right, Neil, you want to close it down? No, I'll let you take us home, Dave. <laughs> hey, we appreciate everybody listening this for this nice long podcast. Shiloh, thank you a lot for coming in and help educating us and, and everybody listening on the difference between traditional, recurve, self-bows, everything. And congratulations on such a great find um, past shoots. And I know you got that many more in you, so... That's all I've got, everybody. Go like and subscribe to these podcasts so that you know when the next one's coming out. And that's it for Oklahoma Archery. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you all.